0: Thank you so much for listening. Good night. Thank you so much for listening. Good night. Tonight we continue our story, The Resident Patient by Arthur Conan Doyle. This really grows outrageous, Mr. Blessington, cried Dr. Trevelyan. Oh, then it is your doctor, said the voice great heave of relief. "'But those other gentlemen, "'are they what they pretend to be?' "'We were conscious of a long scrutiny "'out of the darkness. "'Yes, yes, it's all right,' said the voice at last. "'You can come up, and I am sorry "'if my precautions have annoyed you.' "'He relit the stair gas as he spoke, "'and we saw before us a singular-looking man "'whose appearance, as well as his voice, testified to his jangled nerves. He was very fat, but had apparently, at some time, been much fatter, so that the skin hung about his face in loose pouches, like the cheeks of a bloodhound. He was of a sickly color, and his thin, sandy hair seemed to bristle up with the intensity of his emotion. In his hand he held a pistol, but he thrust it into his pocket as we advanced. Good evening, Mr. Holmes, said he, I am sure I am very much obliged to you for coming round. No one ever needed your advice more than I do. I suppose that Dr. Javellian has told you of this most unwarrantable intrusion into my rooms. Quite so, said Holmes. Who are these two men, Mr. Blessington? And why do they wish to molest you? Well, well, said the resident patient in a nervous fashion. Of course, it is hard to say that. "'You can hardly expect me to answer that, Mr. Holmes.' "'Do you mean that you don't know? "'Come in here, if you please. "'Just have the kindness to step in here.' "'He led the way into his bedroom, which was large and comfortably furnished. "'You see that?' pointing to a big black box at the end of his bed. "'I have never been a very rich man, Mr. Holmes.' Never made but one investment in my life, as Dr. Trevelyan would tell you. But I don't believe in bankers. I would never trust a banker, Mr. Holmes. Between ourselves, what little I have is in that box. So you can understand what it means to me when unknown people force themselves into my rooms. Holmes looked at Blessington in his questioning way and shook his head. I cannot possibly advise you if you try to deceive me, said he. But I have told you everything. Holmes turned on his heel with a gesture of disgust. Good night, Dr. Trevelyan, said he. And no advice for me, cried Blessington in a breaking voice. My advice to you, sir, is to speak the truth. A minute later we were in the street and walking for Holmes. We had crossed Oxford Street and were halfway down Harley Street before I could get a word from my companion. "'Sorry to bring you out on, on such a fool's errand, Watson,' he said at last. "'It is an interesting case, too, at the bottom of it.' "'I can make a little of it,' I confessed. "'Well, it is quite evident that there are two men, more, perhaps, but at least two. "'who are determined for some reason to get at this fellow, Blessington. "'I have no doubt in my mind that on both the first and the second occasion "'that young man penetrated to Blessington's room, "'while his confederate, by an ingenious device, "'kept the doctor from interfering. "'And the catalepsy! "'A fraudulent imitation, Watson, "'though I should hardly dare to hint as much to our specialist. "'It is a very easy complaint to imitate.' done it myself. And then? By the purest chance, Blessington was out on each occasion. The reason for choosing so unusual an hour for a consultation was obviously to ensure that there should be no other patient in the waiting room. It just happened, however, that this hour coincided with Blessington's constitutional, which seems to show that they were not very well acquainted with his daily routine. Of course, if they had merely been after plunder they would at least have made some attempt to search for it. Besides, I can read in a man's eye when it is his own skin that he is frightened for. It is conceivable that this fellow could have made two such vindictive enemies as these appear to be without knowing of it. I hold it, therefore, to be certain that he does know who these men are, and that for reasons of his own he suppresses it. It is just possible that tomorrow may find him in a more Communicative mood. Is there not one alternative, I suggested? Grotesquely improbable, no doubt, but still just conceivable. Might the whole story of the cataleptic Russian and his son be a concoction of Dr. Trevelyan's, who has, for his own purposes, been in Blessington's rooms? I saw in the gaslight that Holmes wore an amused smile at this brilliant departure of mine. My dear fellow, said he. It was one of the first solutions which occurred to me, but I was soon able to corroborate the doctor's tale. This young man has left prints upon the stair carpet, which made it quite superfluous for me to ask to see those which he had made in a room. When I tell you that his shoes were square-toed instead of being pointed like Blessington's, and were quite an inch and a third longer than the doctor's, you will acknowledge that there can be no doubt as to his individuality. But we may sleep on it now, for I shall be surprised if we do not hear something further from Brock Street in the morning. Sherlock Holmes's prophecy was soon fulfilled, and in a dramatic fashion. At half-past seven next morning, in the first glimmer of daylight, I found him standing by my bedside in his dressing gown. "'There's a broom waiting for us, Watson,' said he. "'What's the matter, then?' "'The Brook Street business. Any fresh news?' "'Tragic, but ambiguous,' said he, pulling up the blind. "'Look at this. "'A sheet from a notebook with, "'For God's sake, come at once, P.T.' "'Scrolled upon it in pencil. "'Friend the doctor was hard put to it when he wrote this. "'Come along, my dear fellow, for it's an urgent call. "'In a quarter of an hour or so we were back at the physician's house. "'He came running out to meet us with a face of horror. "'Oh, such a business!' he cried with his hands to his temple's. "'What then? Blessington has committed suicide!' Holmes whistled. "'Yes, he hanged himself during the night.' We had entered, and the doctor had preceded us into what was evidently his waiting room. "'I hardly know what I am doing!' he cried. "'The police are already upstairs. It has shaken me most dreadfully. "'When did you find it out?' "'He has a cup of tea taken in to him early every morning.' When the maid entered about seven, there was the unfortunate fellow, hanging in the middle of the room. He had tied his cord to the hook on which the heavy lamp used to hang, and he had jumped off from the top of the very box that he showed us yesterday. Holmes stood for a moment in deep thought. "'With your permission,' said he at last, "'I should like to go upstairs and look into the matter.' We both ascended, followed by the doctor." It was a dreadful sight which met us as we entered the bedroom door. I have spoken of the impression of flabbiness which this man Blessington conveyed. As he dangled from the hook it was exaggerated and intensified, until he was scarcely human in his appearance. The neck was drawn out like a plucked chicken, making the rest of him seem the more obese and unnatural by the contrast. He was clad only in his long nightdress, and his swollen ankles and ungainly feet protruded starkly from beneath it. Beside him stood a smart-looking police inspector who was taking notes in a pocketbook. Ah, Mr. Holmes, said he heartily as my friend entered. I am delighted to see you. Good morning, Leonard, answered Holmes. You won't think me an intruder, I am sure. Have you heard of the events which led up to this affair? Yes, I have heard something of them. Have you formed any opinion? As far as I can see, this man has been driven out of his senses by fright. The bed has been well slept in, you see. There's his impression, deep enough. It's about five in the morning, you know, that suicides are most common. That would be about his time for hanging himself. It seems to have been a very deliberate affair. I should say that he has been dead "'About three hours, judging by the rigidity of the muscles,' said I. "'Noticed anything peculiar about the broom?' asked Holmes. "'Found a screwdriver and some screws on the wash-hand "'Seems to have smoked heavily during the night, too. "'Here are four cigar ends that I picked out of the fireplace.' "'Hmm,' said Holmes. "'Have you got his cigar holder?' "'No, I have seen none.' "'His cigar case, then?' "'Yes, it was in his coat pocket.' Holmes opened it and smelled the single cigar which it contained. "'Ah, this is the Havana. "'And these others are cigars of the peculiar sort "'which are imported by the Dutch from their East Indian colonies. "'They're usually wrapped in straw, you know, "'and are thinner for their length than any other brand.' "'He picked up the four ends and examined them with his pocket-lens.' Two of these have been smoked from a holder, and two without,' said he. Two have been cut by a not very sharp knife, "'and two have had the ends bitten off by a set of excellent teeth. "'This is no suicide, Mr. Lanner. "'It is a very deeply planned and cold-blooded murder.' "'Impossible!' cried the inspector. "'And why? "'Why should anyone murder a man in so clumsy a fashion as by hanging him?' That is what we have to find out. How could they get in? Through the front door. It was barred in the morning. Then it was barred after them. How do you know? I saw their traces. Excuse me a moment, and I may be able to give you some further information about it. He went over to the door, and turning the lock, he examined it in his methodical way. Then he took out the key, which was on the inside, and inspected that as well. The bed, the carpet, the chairs, the mantelpiece, the dead body, and the rope were each in turn examined, until at last he professed himself satisfied. And with my aid and that of the inspector, cut down the wretched object and laid it reverently under a sheet. "'How about this rope?' he asked. "'It is cut off this,' said Dr. Trevelyan drawing a large coil from under the bed. He was morbidly nervous of fire, and always kept this beside him, so that he might escape by the window in case the stairs were burning. That must have saved them trouble, said Holmes thoughtfully. Yes, the actual facts are very plain, and I shall be surprised if by the afternoon I cannot give you the reasons for them as well. I will take this photograph of Blessington, which I see upon the mantelpiece, "'as it may help me in my inquiries.' "'But you've told us nothing,' cried the doctor. "'Oh, there can be no doubt as to the sequence of events,' said Holmes. "'There were three of them in it, "'the young man, the old man, "'and a third to whose identity I have no clue. "'The first two, I need hardly remark, "'are the same who masqueraded as the Russian count and his son.' "'so we can give a very full description of them. "'They were admitted by a confederate inside the house. "'If I might offer you a word of advice, Inspector, "'it would be to arrest the page, "'who, as I understand, "'has only recently come into your service, Doctor. "'The young imp cannot be found,' said Dr. Trevelyan. "'The maid and the cook have just been searching for him.' "'Holmes shrugged his shoulders.' "'He has played a not unimportant part in this drama,' said he. "'The three men having ascended the stairs, which they did on tiptoe, "'the elder man first, the younger man second, and the unknown man in the rear—' "'My dear Holmes!' I ejaculated. "'Oh, there could be no question as to the superimposing of the footmarks. "'I had the advantage of learning which was which last night. "'They ascended then to Mr. Blessington's room— the door of which they found to be locked. With the help of a wire, however, they forced around the key, even without the lens you will perceive, by the scratches on this ward where the pressure was applied. On entering the room, their first proceeding must have been to gag Mr. Blessington. He may have been asleep, or he may have been so paralyzed with terror as to have been unable to cry out. These walls are thick, and it is conceivable that his shriek, if he had time to utter one, "'was unheard. "'Having secured him, "'it is evident to me "'that a consultation of some sort was held. "'Probably it was something "'in the nature of a judicial meeting. "'It must have lasted for some time, "'for it was then that Lee's cigars were smoked. "'The older man sat in that wicker chair. "'It was he who used the cigar holder. "'The younger man sat over yonder. "'He knocked his ash off against the chest of drawers. "'The third fellow paced up and down.' Blessington, I think, sat upright in the bed, but of that I cannot be absolutely certain. Well, it ended by their taking Blessington and hanging him. The matter was so prearranged that it is my belief that they brought with them some sort of block or pulley which might serve as a gallows. That screwdriver and those screws were, as I can see, for fixing it up. Seeing the hook, however, they naturally saved themselves the trouble. Having finished their work, they made off, and the door was barred behind them by their confederate. We had all listened with the deepest interest to this sketch of the night's doings, which Holmes had deduced from signs so subtle and minute that, even when he had pointed them out to us, we could scarcely follow him in his reasoning. The inspector hurried away on the instant to make inquiries about the page, while Holmes and I returned to Baker Street for breakfast. I'll be back by three, said he, when we had finished our meal. Both the inspector and the doctor will meet me here at that hour, and I hope by that time to have cleared up any little obscurity which the case may still present. Our visitors arrived at the appointed time, but it was a quarter to four before my friend put in an appearance. From his expression as he entered, however, I could see that all had gone well with him. Any news, inspector? We've got the boy, sir. Excellent. And I've got the men. You've got them? "'we cried all three. "'Well, at least I have got their identity. "'This so-called Blessington is, as I expected, "'well known at headquarters, and so are his assailants. The names are Biddle, Hayward, and Muffet.' "'The Worthington Bank Gang!' cried the inspector. "'Precisely,' said Holmes. "'Then Blessington must have been Sutton.' "'Exactly,' said Holmes. "'Why?' "'That makes it as clear as crystal!' said the inspector. "'But Trevelyan and I looked at each other in bewilderment. "'You surely must remember the Great Wellington Bank business,' said Holmes. Five men were in it. "'You must surely remember the Great Wellington Bank business,' said Holmes. Five men were in it. "'These four and a fifth called Cartwright. "'Tobin, the caretaker, was murdered, and the thieves got away with seven thousand pounds. "'This was in 1875.' They were all five arrested, but the evidence against them was by no means conclusive. This Blessington, or Sutton, who was the worst of the gang, turned informer. On his evidence Cartwright was hanged, and the other three got fifteen years apiece. When they got out the other day, which was some years before their full term, they set themselves, as you perceive, to hunt down the traitor and to avenge the death of their comrade upon him. "'Twice they tried to get at him and failed. "'The third time, you see, it came off. "'Is there anything further which I can explain, Dr. Trevelyan?' "'I think you have made it all remarkably clear,' said the doctor. "'No doubt the day on which he was perturbed "'was the day when he had seen of their release in the newspapers. "'Quite so. "'His talk about a burglary was the merest blind. "'But why could he not tell you this?' Well, my dear sir, knowing the vindictive character of his old associates, he was trying to hide his own identity from everybody as long as he could. His secret was a shameful one, and he could not bring himself to divulge it. However, wretch as he was, he was still living under the shield of British law, and I have no doubt, Inspector, that you will see that though that shield may fail to guard, the sword of justice is still there to avenge. Such were the singular circumstances in connection with the resident patient and the Brook Street doctor. From that night, nothing has been seen of the three murderers by the police, and it is surmised at Scotland Yard that they were among the passengers of the ill fated steamer North Kraina, which was lost some years ago with all hands upon the Portuguese coast, some leagues to the north of Oporto. The proceedings against the page broke down for want of evidence, and, The Brook Street mystery, as it was called, has never until now been fully dealt with in any public print. The End Sometimes your past will come and get you, no matter how hard you try. Oh, sure, you could try to whitewash it, maybe paper over it with good deeds, but... The Internet is forever, my friends, and... Maybe we all should remember that the next time we start flame-posting or uh, doing any of these other things that make social media just as unsavory as all get-out. But what is savory is some delicious meat from Omaha Steaks. Enter BVJ in the promo code and it will do absolutely nothing because this is not a sponsored read. I would like to remind you that we are always on the lookout for great public domain stories to feature on our podcast. You can send them to me via email at bigvoicej at gmail.com. We have a YouTube channel of some of our favorite stories, tiny.cc slash bvjbedtime. Don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. It helps to spread the word that we're putting people to sleep every single night. And if you'd like to support the show, there's a Buy Me A Coffee link on every page and post. Thank you so much for listening. Good night. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this (laughs) program.